Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Redemption Tempe podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And uh, just kind of getting right into it, um, you know, our last episode we talked about the implications of Genesis and, uh, you know, the implications of Genesis on all of life. And uh, this time around, um, if you, you know, if you listen to that, you heard me tease towards the end that we were going to talk about uh, our first, first Wednesday of the year, which was dealing with the topic of the refugee crisis. Um, you know, as I'm sure you know, you know, the Syrian war, which, you know, began a couple of years ago, has left many families and you know, displaced, you know, and look and seeking refuge. And so, uh, you know, we want to take a uh, look back at our first Wednesday gathering. And, you know, we discussed this crisis and we discussed the, uh, you know, what should the church's response be in the face of this? So uh, our goal here is to really focus on the questions that we didn't have a, chan- a chance to answer on the, from the first Wednesday to hope, hopefully bring you some clarity or you know, uh, kind of flesh some things out. Maybe that you just you know you didn't uh, feel feel were answered. So today I have with me uh, Jim Mullins, who is the pastor of theological and vocational formation at Redemption. And I'm you know I'm really glad that he's here because you know this is an issue that is really near and dear to his heart, and uh, you know he's definitely spoken a lot about it. So uh, you know really glad to have you here, Jim, and I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, you know discussing this you know this crisis further. So. Um, you know, if you weren't there on first Wednesday, it was our first first Wednesday of the year. We had uh, Mark Glanville, Matthew Sorens, and James Schrakey as our speakers. But kind of taking a step back, Jim, can you kind of explain, like, what are first Wednesdays? And, you know, why should people get involved? Yeah, so first Wednesdays are our monthly gathering where we look at different cultural topics through the lens of the biblical story. So we, in the past, have done things like creativity, sports, art science, politics. We've done a wide array of things, and these are things that exist within God's world, and we look at them through the lens of God's word. We usually have text in questions, speakers. We always have food. There's dinner there. Oh, definitely. This time it was a princess market, right? Princess market, which was so good. good. And we we intentionally chose princess market because they hire Syrian cooks. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, Syrian refugee cooks. Awesome. Um, so there's a, a lot of things that we cover at First Wednesdays, and we usually have some discussions around the tables. But really, we're trying to flesh out what it looks like to live all of life off of Jesus. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yeah, I mean, if you haven't been to a First Wednesday, wow, man, the, you know, the, the, the topics that are being hit are always relevant. And there's always, uh, you know, some really excellent speakers who have, you know, spent time kind of being able to give some good uh, perspectives. Mm. So I would definitely encourage you if you haven't gone to check it out. So uh, can you kind of give us a preview of what what, what uh, topics can we look forward to for uh, First Wednesdays in October? So in October, we're bringing out Joshua Ryan Butler. He's the author of The Skeletons in God's Closet Got it. and yeah. Pursuing the Pursuing God. And uh, he's a sharp guy. He's a friend of the church. He's a friend of mine. We're bringing him out here to address the topic of, of violence and violence in the Bible. And basically ask the question, is, is the Bible a book that would lead people to become violent people or peacemaking people? And what do you do with the hard texts that, that, that seem to promote different types of violence? So we're going to really engage those questions. We brought him out here and we're focusing on that topic because... In our in our Bible reading plan with the True Story Project, yeah. we're going to get into some of those yeah. harsh texts where it talks right. about violence, and we wanted him to be able to comment on those things. The other thing I would say about him that the reason why you really want to be there is that 
he is the best way I could explain him is if if you combined Malcolm Gladwell okay. with with Dr. Great J, author. Julius Irving. Sorry, we can't help the basketball references. They're, they will be here. Yep. yep. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell, the social scientist, right. and Dr. J, and then you you sent him to Portland to grow up in Portland. That's what you would get. You would get uh, Josh Butler, uh, who's who's a sharp. Um, thoughtful guy. So October 5th, 6 p.m., join us for some food and some discussion about violence, just light topics like that. Excellent. So uh, that's. can you repeat the date uh, on that again? October 5th. October 5th. First Wednesday of October. There you go. Yeah. So um, awesome. So that's something definitely we'll be looking forward to. Um, but kind of want to just, let's dig into the, the refugee crisis, man. Let's do it. So, um, you know, what do you feel like are the biggest challenges yeah. You know, a refugee faces when he comes to America. So, it, and we, sh- we should say that these questions here that we have, they're generated from what people texted in. Right, right, uh, right, yeah. So to let you know, if we, uh, if your question isn't exactly addressed, it's because it was similar to one of the other questions. Yeah. But we're trying to hit every question that was texted in, except for the redundant ones. So um, the biggest challenges that a refugee faces in America... Um, there are there are several of them. The first one is, uh, and this is often overlooked, is trauma. A lot of times, people are coming from countries where they have seen incredible violence. They've seen war. They've seen family members die. Uh, they've seen they've lost limbs many times, and there's a, a very traumatic world that they're coming from. You can't come to America as a refugee unless you are, it's verified that you are fleeing uh, danger uh, and persecution and and, and your life is at danger. So um, that's the biggest one. But they say that there's a triple trauma when it comes to being a refugee. The trauma that initially causes you to flee, uh, the trauma of having to live in a refugee camp where you're you can be taken advantage of because of your vulnerable position and being displaced. Yes. And then the third trauma is of being sent to a completely foreign land and given a couple of months to figure out how you can just survive in life. You have to get a job and, and which can be very difficult because a lot of times your credentials don't transfer over. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times people are, it's not a lot of times people are very educated, very skilled, but they may have been a doctor in the country that they're coming from, that's and they common, can't practice that's, medicine. Yeah, that's a common yeah. tread you'll see. You know, yeah. people say, "Hey, I was a doctor in, uh, you know, Syria or you know, where, whatever their respective country was," and they, you know, they'll come to America, and you know, it's like their credentials don't seem to cross over. Yeah, yeah, transfer over. Yeah, and yeah. so they were working as a doctor, right. and now they're working at the airport right, or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Um, and, and so there's there you have to find a job. That's very difficult. So if you're out there and you have some power or privilege within your company to decide who gets hired, uh, one way of, of pursuing shalom would be to help refugees get hired. The other thing is you're having to do life in a completely different culture and a com- com- completely different language. Right, right. Um, I, I, live, I lived in Turkey for three years, and I know a little bit about living in a place where you uh, don't know the language and the culture, even though I was there by choice, whereas a lot of these people are forced right, to right. flee from their land. Um, but I remember when my daughter was born, 
and the doctors explaining to me in a different language that she had a hole in her heart or that when my wife was in the hospital and we're navigating my life, my wife who's in danger, who's potentially uh, very, very ill, going to die. Um, and I'm trying to navigate that in a second language and with cultural traits that, that I don't fully understand. It was incredibly difficult. And wow. that's what a wow. lot of folks have to do. And then oftentimes they will get here and they have to face the stigma mm. that comes with being a Muslim or comes with being a refugee. Now, imagine if you're someone who stood up to ISIS. You were saying, I'm not giving in to them. We're not going to join this group. You stood up to them. And because of that, you had to flee your home. And then you get to a place like America. Maybe even you helped the U.S. military. Mm. And you get to a place like America. And you have people who are saying, are suspicious of you because you might be ISIS. You're the one who suffered the most under ISIS. And they're saying you shouldn't even be in the country because I'm afraid you are ISIS. Those are some of the challenges that people face. And as a matter of fact, I I just want to say this one thing. Last week, I got a call about a friend who's a Muslim whose neighbor has been threatening him and saying, uh, calling him ISIS and saying, I'm going to kill you, Arab, and, and literally pointing a gun at him. And some of his credibility with the police has been diminished because, come to find out, his neighbor has been filing reports saying that he thinks this guy is a terrorist, this Arab guy who just lives in Tempe is is a terrorist. Some irony there, huh? Yeah. And if you know this guy, (laughs) this guy is here because he served with and helped the U.S. military in Iraq and can't continue to live in Iraq. Wow. Yeah. Um, as you can see, I mean, this is not something uh, that that's done easily. Easily, you know, so many so many different difficulties and challenges. You know, uh, trying to assimilate and trying to, uh, you know, just live in a different culture. Yeah. So, um, you know, how has what has been the church's response? I guess historically, or how has the church been involved in refugee is, refugee is, issues in the past? Yeah. So it's interesting because I think our church, Redemption Church, has this silent legacy of Mm. being involved. Um, We actually have been involved in some pretty substantial ways, and we've won like a couple of awards because of it. But we have this weird thing at Redemption where we like don't know how to talk about good things that we've been a part of. So we just kind of brush it under the rug or something like that because not wanting to sound boastful but um, we've been a part of uh, we built a partnership with the Somali Bantu community and had several interns move into the apartment complexes where they lived learn some of the language learn how to make some of those recipes and then come under their leadership uh, of 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 an initiative that they organized to help teach their community English to teach uh, job skills, to teach uh, citizenship classes so that they can get the privileges of being a citizen, which, by the way, uh, the citizenship test, not an easy test. Yeah. Basically, only refugees can pass that test. Wow. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure if some of those questions were thrown at us, we'll be, uh. <laughs> maybe, maybe for a future episode, we'll yeah. throw some of those up there. We should do that. Yeah. yeah. We should do that. That would that, be good. So yeah. the, the, the Somali partnership... Um, we've also had this rich uh, relationship with the, the Uzbek community. 
Um, I'll tell a story about that in a minute, but I'll just name some of the things. We raised $50,000 one year so that we could help get farming equipment for refugee farmers who are growing food in urban farms in the city and uh, through through an incredible program with the IRC called the New Roots Program. We've had uh, a number of people who've been a part of welcome teams who are welcoming folks and helping set up the, the home. We've had a partnership with the Refugee Women's Health Clinic. Uh, I could go on and on, but the thing, the story I want to tell, you ready? Yeah. Can it be a little bit of story time? Go ahead, man. Go ahead. All right. Because I, I don't know if I've ever told this story in like a public church setting. I don't think I have anyway, okay. uh, because it's never just been the time. But several years ago, uh, I found the name of this leader of the Uzbek community here in Phoenix. So I just saw his name on this piece of paper, and I just felt like I should call him and just say, will you have coffee with me? So we ended up having coffee together, and we learned that there's this large Uzbek community in Phoenix. Wow. And uh, what happened with them was really, really profound. They basically were organizing their own community and starting businesses and doing some incredible things. You see, they had come from Andijan, Uzbekistan. Mm. And what happened in Andijan is that the government in Uzbekistan basically massacred like uh, hundreds of people Mm. who were protesting the arrest of these 23 entrepreneurs who were like helping the city flourish through entrepreneurship. But then the army came in and just just attacked the crowd. Wow. So they fled to America. And when they got to America, you're not going to believe this. It was in the middle of the economic crisis in 2007. Uh And they actually said they were watching the news and they saw that America was struggling to have jobs. So they said, what we're going to do is we are going to start businesses so that Americans can have jobs. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. It, It was incredible. So they had to learn English first and then they started starting those businesses. They started 11 businesses in six years, from a restaurant to uh, auto repair to a little market, uh, a, a farm, a bunch of that these is businesses. Incredible, incredible, incredible guys. And uh, there's a history, really, of entrepreneurship being driven by immigrants and refugees in this country. So even if your mentality is one of just saying, I'm totally self-centered, I don't care about people, and Jesus' command to love my neighbor means nothing to me, it is in your interest that refugees come here because the economy thrives off of immigrant entrepreneurship. But you should listen to Jesus, and that's kind of what the podcast is about. But anyway, all that to say... My 50 rabbit trails within the one story. <laughs> that was a great story, man. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, we haven't even gotten to it yet, all right? <laughs> so these guys, when the Arab Spring happened, we, okay. we had built a partnership with them. We were doing storytelling nights. We were uh, doing English classes mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship initiatives. They, when the Arab Spring happened, they decided they were going to organize a nonviolent protest to push back against... Uh, the dictator in Uzbekistan. So they started gathering all of these these people from around the world, uh-huh. uh, all of these these uh, Uzbek leaders, and then they had this congress, this big meeting in Germany. And believe it or not, they raised money for two of the Uzbek guys from our community here, and for me, they raised money for me to go with them to this congress wow. to talk about the Uzbek movement, this nonviolent movement that they wanted to start. So we got there, and I'm like the only non-Central Asian guy in the room. Uh So I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) None at all. Yeah. 
And about every 15 or like every two hours, they'll ask me to stand up and give a speech and I'll just quote Martin Luther King Jr. and (laughs) say a few platitudes, but I don't have anything that's going, going on. Well, eventually they start like there's some angry discussion in the room and there's a conflict about whether some guy should be appointed into leadership. See, because they were all Muslims and the guy that they were going to appoint into leadership had become a Christian. Mm. Well, Mm. the, the Uzbek guys that I had come with, you know, I thought this was my moment to stand up and say something. It wasn't. They stood up and they gave this impassioned speech that won over the room and they changed the bylaws to allow Christians to be in the leadership Beautiful. of yeah. this movement. And in particular, because they, they said of, that they had proven that Muslims and Christians could be in good friendship and neighbors because of the relationship with the church. So uh, they, they changed the bylaws of everything. They actually said, if things ever become free in Uzbekistan, we want you guys to come start a church in uh, in Uzbekistan as you've allowed us free worship in America. We want that to be in Uzbekistan. So, you know, Redemption Uzbekistan, maybe one day, right? (laughs) Pastor Jim Lawrence. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be the the first one to buy a ticket. Of of course, they don't need an American dude leading an Uzbek church, but I'll just go there to be the janitor or something to see that awesome stuff. For sure. Well, so that all unfolded, and this this, um, group was focused on nonviolence. And the leader of this whole thing, um, I was having a discussion with him at the the meeting. He was like the a presidential candidate at okay. one time in Uzbekistan, and he we were having a discussion. We couldn't really communicate with each other because we didn't have the common language. I didn't speak any Uzbek. He spoke only just a little bit of English. And then someone leans over and says, "Hey, you guys both were in Turkey. See, he was exiled to Turkey. Oh. So why don't you speak Turkish?" And we just hit it off. And so he appoints me as his advisor in this thing. To, to speak into how they would go about the nonviolent approach. And I told him the only thing I really know is the teachings of Jesus, which a lot of the nonviolent folks um, are, are, they root their nonviolent teaching in uh, Jesus and the right, Sermon right, on the right, Mount and right, those sorts right. of things. So he basically allowed me to like teach the Sermon on the Mount to like, like dozens and dozens of Muslims and, um, and this whole thing was going in an incredible direction. Movement was happening. But to make a long story short, when Osama bin Laden was assassinated mm-hmm. and it cut off the supply route from from uh, Afghanistan to, to Pakistan because relationships went south with Pakistan, the only supply route that was left was through Uzbekistan. And then, mm-hmm. and then what's happened since then is... Um, uh, the U.S., because we need that supply route, right. we dropped all the sanctions on this criminal government. Oh, man. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate. Yeah. yeah that's... And they actually assassinated some of the leaders of this movement, some guys I knew. Right. And they started abducting their family members. And, you know, so the movement, the legs were kind of cut out from right. underneath the move, from the movement. And, and for the last, or a couple times in the last couple of years, I've received death threats from these wow. Uzbek nationalists who are in Uzbekistan and those sorts of things. So anyway, that's a long story to just talk about our church has a legacy and a history of being connected to this issue. And 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 can I say one more thing? Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. We need your smooth voice to break up. No, no, no. Right? It's good. I but, mean, yeah, it's, I just think it's really interesting how, you know, you, you, 
you find a a, a note or something with you know the, this leader's name and look at all that unfolds. Yeah, yeah. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's and and divine. Yeah, and and <laughs> and speaking of that. Yeah. For five years, I have been praying that refugee resettlement would happen in the East Valley near our church. And uh, because I want our church to be a part of that hospitality, plus I think it's a good area for where refugees can flourish. Uh, Last spring, one of the refugee resettlement agencies came to our doors of our church. And they asked, we want to start, they said, we want to start in the East Valley. Can we use your facilities? So we open up the facilities to them, and in the next year or so, they should be running their operation out of our church campus. Uh, the other thing that we see is that, that w- there was an answer to the prayer is that World Relief is actually coming to town and setting up shop and um, is going to be doing refugee resettlement in the East Valley. So five years I've been praying for this, and it has come to fruition. Not just me, but a few other people. So the reason why we did the refugee topic twice within a year is because we have a sense of calling as a church that yeah. we are to engage this issue. Man, that is so encouraging and, uh, you know, really just exciting and, you know, happy to really happy to be a part of a church that chooses to care about this issue and really be intentional about that, you know? So, um, just kind of moving on here, uh, you know, from a refugee's perspective, what is the attitude of Americans or, or specifically Arizonans towards them. You know, one of the things that saddens me um, is that in a place like Arizona, a place that I call my home and I'm right. committed to, um, they will encounter uh, racism and ethnocentric attitudes that are rooted in idolatry. Um, so true, man. And... Uh, can be so utterly discouraging, you know, but on the other hand, they will also uh, see tremendous hospitality and self-giving love. And here's the thing I think about Arizona, Arizona and and our engagement in this issue and a lot of issues is where you will find the best and the worst of most things. Mm. You will find some of the most sacrificial and hospitable, intentional folks who are engaging this issue, not just to, you know, set up programs, but to build real friendships and and relationships. relationships. And then you will also have people who will point their guns at our refugee neighbors, just like ISIS used to. Right. Right. That's why I was saying it's such it's so so much irony in that yeah. story that you know he's calling someone a terrorist as he's terrorizing you know yeah. this, this guy who's just trying to live his life yeah. you know just trying yeah. to live peaceably yeah so, yeah it's and so very I, unfortunate I think, very sad yeah yeah I think it's the best and the worst and uh, to if you find yourself in that worst category right I'm gonna just I'm gonna just say that there might be some idolatry that's leading to the injustice that you're perpetuating, and I won't mince words with that. I think it's pretty clear. I mean, we we asked the question, "Who is your neighbor?" Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how do you love your neighbor? Like, do you, you know, how can you, you know, uh, Jesus gives those two commandments, and how can you see a refugee, or you know, you see children, you know, washing up on shores, and you know, not feel compassion, and not, you know kind of feel like how can I love these how can I love these people yeah you know it's it's it doesn't it doesn't seem like to not care to be apathetic or to be uh hostile towards this whole issue just seems completely anti-gospel you know 
Yeah, and, and people and will... Gospel, yeah. Certainly. And if people will refuse to ask the question, who is my neighbor and how do I love my neighbor and not see refugees as neighbors, um, Jesus is prepared for you because he says that you're called to love your enemy right. as well. Right, that's right. And that's so good. even if everyone everyone was your enemy and this is all ISIS and they're coming through, which is absurd. It's not even close. Even if that were the case, Jesus's command to you is still the same, which is to love sacrificially until your enemy becomes your friend, to subvert evil by doing good. And so at the end of the day, we just have to, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to take Jesus seriously at his word to sacrificially love our neighbors and our enemies, or are we not? And if you're not, then you need to take the name of Jesus out of your mouth. You need to disassociate yourself with him because that's not what he's about. Wow, that's so true. You know, there's some things you just don't mince words about, you know, and uh, really appreciate that, Jim. Um, So we've kind of talked about, you know, our church's response and, um, you know, Arizona's response, but, you know, the U.S. as a whole, you know, we're in the midst of a political, you know, a very intense political season climate where uh, this is one of the main issues that uh, is really polarized. You know, in, in our polarized nations, you have people kind of falling on both ends of the the, the extremes or, or not really extremes, the ends of the spectrum, I would say. So how do you think the U.S. is handling, you know, the refugee crisis in comparison to, you know, maybe our neighbors across the pond? Or... You know, I actually... I actually, this is one of the things that I love most about this country, mm-hmm. is that it's rooted in hospitality to the immigrants. And um, and I think uh, there's some deeply problematic things with that. I mean, on one hand, hospitality. On one hand, forced uh, people to come here. Right. Uh, on one hand, displacing people who were already here. But one of the things that has been really rich is this this tendency to say the, w- welcome, like that the strength of the country comes from people coming from all over the world. Right. And actually, the U.S. resettles more people than any other country in the world huh. by far. Wow. Um, usually it's around 70 to 80,000 people. We've just upped it to 110,000. And I am really proud of the country for that that makes me feel all gooey and patriotic Um, (laughs) but um, that's generally I would say doing pretty good on the other hand uh, other European countries they're taking on more risk because they're taking on asylees who are fleeing from the country and aren't officially refugees I think that there's a lot more that we could do but I'm actually pretty encouraged got it got it have you uh so, you know, can you kind of just give us a brief kind of distinction between the asylees and refugees, just for anyone who may not know? Sure. Yeah, a refugee is someone who has been displaced because of violence or persecution or a threat to their life. And they actually enter into the UNHCR, um, the, the United Nations process of vetting. Um, certain people will talk about extreme vetting, uh, which is actually... Um, kind of nonsensical because the vetting that already happens is very extreme as it is. If you're a refugee, you are getting vetted 
by the FBI, the State Department, the UN, uh, all of these government agencies, uh, and your backgrounds are being checked. It's it's the most thorough thing you can imagine. And it's people who come through that official process that get relocated to a country permanently. Right. So that's that's what a refugee is. An asylee is someone who flees from uh, those hostilities and ends up in a country um, without legal status, and then they apply for legal status while they're in that country. So a lot of what's happening in Germany is that people are just fleeing Syria and getting on these boats and risking right. their life. Risking their lives. And yeah, then they, they show up on the shores of Greece and try mm-hmm. to make it all the way through to Europe. Those people would have the status of an asylee. All right. Thanks for that. uh, Kind of clearing that up there. And, uh, you know, let's say, you know, I care about this issue. You know, I I, want to be involved in, you know, helping refugees feel welcomed here and just, you know, embracing them and Mm -hmm. uh, just welcome them, welcoming them. You know, what is something tangible I could do to say tomorrow? I want it to start tomorrow to to to, you know, to start to uh, kind of play a part in this situation. Like, well, what can I do? What is something I can do? Specifically tomorrow, if you just like couldn't wait a day, um, and then it had to be tomorrow. Yeah, it has to be tomorrow. Like I'm, to I'm tomorrow. so inspired. I'm motivated. I want to do something tomorrow. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say is uh, go to a restaurant that is owned by a refugee. Oh man. Um, or that has cooks who are refugees or something like that. I will shamelessly plug Oasis. Yes, Oasis. <laughs> Love that restaurant. Yeah. Food is great. If you haven't been there, awesome, awesome food. And, the, you know, we had our peace feast there once. The owner came out, spoke. It was a great experience. Food is amazing. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. Juba is yeah. a Somali restaurant. Okay. Um, Princess Market intentionally hires Syrian uh, cooks. So if you're going to go out to eat anyway, choose one of these places and then just give a fat tip and then plug it on um, Yelp and on Facebook and those sorts of things just to give an economic boost to those sorts of things. If you had to do something tomorrow and you want to do something small, that's one thing you could do. So really practical. Yep. Really practical way to just you know start supporting you yep. know, our refugee neighbors. So uh, let me ask you a question, man. Do you think it's ever okay for a country to consider its available resources before admitting uh, you know an increased number of refugees? Or do we just... Open our doors. Yeah, I think it is wise stewardship to consider the resources that you have. And I think what this question is rooted in is it's rooted in this idea of we have so many problems here in the U.S. Uh, who are we to think that we could take on all these Right, other right, right. Like we need to resolve our own stuff, you know, mess yeah. first before we even start inviting other people in. Like, yeah. We don't have enough. We, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I can appreciate the sentiment, but I think that the sentiment is a mirage that's shaped by media narratives um, that that. perpetuate a lot of fear. Fear. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's just uh, let's just say we did take a look at our resources as a country and we would look and we would conclude that we have the largest GDP of any country um, and we would probably assume okay if anyone's going to do it we should probably be the ones to do it Um, the the other thing with that is that uh, it has been proven by multiple economists that refugees 
um, are not a economic drain on society, but they're actually economic yeah. contributors that um, they contribute more in taxes and then goods and services than is spent on them to come here by far. And, and, and so the, the other thing that comes with that is just the mentality of remembering that as image bearers created in God's image, that these are not just mouths to feed, but they are hands and feet and brains and bring an incredible uh, ability to cultivate God's world and to, to contribute um, to life in America. Yeah, I think it's, it's so important. Like you said, like, you know, they're not coming here to look to sap off our resources. You know, they, they, and it, just like the example of, you know, the Uzbeks, you know, they want to help the city. The cities are in flourish. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to start businesses, employ people, help spur the economy. So I think, you know, if we have that opinion, you know, of refugees, I mean, I, I, just, I just don't see that, uh, you know, kind of supported. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't seem like a narrative that's supported. That they're, you know. Yeah. And, and if they didn't, right. even if they didn't contribute to the right. economy, which they do, um, it would still be worth it because they're made in God's exactly. image. Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, as you know, as Jim and I, we pretty much probably fall on the same you know spect- side of the spectrum when it comes to this issue. But you know, it doesn't. This is not a uh, you know necessarily reflective of you know the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. There are some people who just feel like you know refugees, uh, maybe because they're a lot of them are of a different religion, or you know that they're not. You know, we should not welcome them with open arms. So mm-hmm. how do we have those conversations with people, you know, who feel, you know, kind of or who lean towards the opposite end of, you know, not wanting to welcome refugees? Well, I think that there are and this answer might get me in a little little trouble here, but that's fine. You can send me an email. Jim Mullins at redemptionaz.com <laughs> and I'd love to have it out with you. But um, there there are there are two types of categories. There are categories that that are debatable, whether you should vote for a Democrat or a Republican. Um, the, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism. Yeah, Arminianism you know, right, there, right. Are, there, are, there are categories that it is good and healthy for debate to happen. Um, but then there are categories where there's this issue of moral equivalency where you give something a... a you give a equal moral standing mm. um, in the in a discussion things that should not be on the same page. Like like if I were to debate with you um, the the merits of hitting someone with a baseball bat, <laughs> and and you were to say, now we need to listen to both sides of this argument. Some say you should yeah. hit people with a baseball bat. Some shouldn't, and so it's open for discussion. Our, you know, our culture kind of tells us to do that. You know, our culture kind of leans towards that like you know we need to hear every perspective in reality there are some perspectives that just need to be kind of struck down immediately (laughs) yeah i mean and 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 the one that says that uh people whose lives are in danger and are made in the image of god that we would like we want to keep them in danger for the sake of our hype of preventing hypothetical danger on us and and to say that we value our comfort so much that we won't take seriously the commands of Jesus really does not seem to me like this is like this open for discussion. Now, if you want to debate the finer points of what the vetting process should be and, and, and those sorts of things, those, I think you should have discussions, but 
you the question was how do we have those discussions and i would say informed Mm. educated that's good that's so true yeah you are free to have an opinion in america that's a good thing but but it is you i would say wise and prudent to and biblical to be slow to speak right quick to listen and to not have an opinion unless you've put in the work to have a well-informed opinion wow uh that really goes against everything that uh you know, how we communicate and how we definitely engage in social media. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, you know, let's be informed by facts and not by our fears, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, re- really good stuff there. And um, let me just yeah. clarify. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be um, borders, that there shouldn't be legal oh, and due definitely. process. Right. There definitely should be. Um, there definitely should be. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but that, like, it, it kind of goes back to what we're saying these are image bearers, and uh, to me, that takes precedent over you know mm-hmm. our affairs. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, our country, we have this separation of you know church and state established in the Constitution, and um, should we as Christians should we look for like a biblical response uh, as a public policy in this you know when it comes to this crisis? Yeah, that's a that is a good question. That's a really good question, and um, there are t- there are different people tend to misunderstand the idea of church and state. Mm. The idea of church and state is rooted in the fact that these institutions should not have have this determining authority right. over the specific affairs of their particular domain. So the 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 you shouldn't have a state church that's the official right. church of the the state that gets privileges that uh, other churches don't get. Right. Nor should you have like popes or like religious leaders that are um, the the church telling the state what right. should do. Right. They should do. But the Dutch Calvinist, one of my favorite theologians, Abraham Kuyper. Yes. Yeah, he yes. he is really helpful. He talks about sphere sovereignty and that there's multiple domains of life, whether it's business or family or government or civil society. And he would say that the witness of the Bible is that all of those are under the lordship of Christ. Christ is king over all of those. Right. And they should not be ranked one over the other. They have their own particular responsibilities. So it's uh, the, the responsibility of the, the, the family is to, to raise children, to provide, to set the rules for the, their own home. The responsibility of business is to provide good, goods and services that benefit the neighbor and to be uh, paid for that. The, the responsibility of the government is to establish establish the rules for the public commons and the the common the life common good, yeah. between the, the people. Pub, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and and it's true that the government should be limited to that. Um, uh, but the role of the church is, is should be limited to the the proclamation of God's word in the in the body life, the community of his people who are believers. Now, with that said, part of what the Bible addresses is, is moral things and public life things. So the role of the church isn't to like write policy, 
but it is to speak on prophetically about what's right and wrong to the powers of the state and the state, the role of the state is to, um, to execute public justice. And it really is under the Lordship of, of, of Christ. Now we live in a government where people don't acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. Um, and the government shouldn't be like saying this is a Christian government, so on and so forth. But with all of that said, the, the church has a role of speaking truth uh, to every aspect of life. All of life is all for Jesus. Right. And as citizens, we are both members of a church, but we're also citizens of a country. And so, therefore, when you go into the voting booth or if you should be in the position where you're shaping policy, which I think more Christians should enter into politics, um, you're... Like Jim Mullins, right? No, not like Jim, Jim Mullins. Mullins from not like Jim Holmes. <laughs> but if that if that is your role, then um, as a citizen, your command to love your neighbor as yourself, to seek justice, to uh, care for the vulnerable, to pursue shalom, should shape the policies that you are promoting, and it should shape them uh, with more seriousness than self-preservation or self-interest, as the Bible calls us to be more interested in 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 others and in our neighbor than in ourselves. I think that's so good. And you know, when we when we read through the Bible, you know, um, a lot of the issues that we try to back up biblically, there really is no biblical foundation. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about refuge and you know seeking the welfare of foreigners and uh, you know, the widows and oppressed, there is tons of biblical foundation yeah. you know, and biblical references on this. So um, this issue is very important to God. So yeah. it should be very important to us. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. So um, just kind of lastly here, um, what are some, you know, I know we kind of talked, touched on this a little bit earlier, but can you think of just any other practical ways we can just get involved in, in this issue, in this crisis? Absolutely. So uh, at First Wednesday, I had a paper that said um, the next steps, and we'll have that paper in the, the back true story table. We'll have a little, that little document there. But I'll just run over some of those things. Number one, join a good neighbor team. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a few months, we're going to have something called good neighbor teams, and this group of people will be meeting refugees at the airport and extending hospitality to them and friendship to them and helping them adjust to life in America. Uh, Number two would be join a good works team. So what we're starting in a few months as well is we're going to have teams of people that will be focused on helping people who are here as refugees find meaningful employment in America. That's That's great. Yeah. So working with um, resumes, we're going to actually knock on the doors of of companies and say, hey, hire refugees. So um, number three, volunteer with a local resettlement agency like the IRC, Lutheran Social Services, or World Relief when they get to town. Number four, Devote one day to praying for refugees each week. So I've done this before where I take one one evening and what my family will do is we'll make a meal from a country where there's a lot of displacement. So maybe Afghanistan or uh, last uh, about a week ago I made a dish from Syria and we'll eat that dish and then we'll spend some time as the the flavors are still on our tongue as a, to, to use us as a reminder that real human hands are making that dish somewhere across the world. Wow, that's great. And yeah. praying for those people. Yeah. Um, number five, become an English language encourager. So you can volunteer with the organization called Abounding Service and help teach English. 
Uh, number six, um, attend a Refugee Connections, Phoenix Refugee Connections training. Phoenix Refugee Connections is like a, a network of churches that are working together on this stuff. They have trainings all the time. Look them up on Facebook. Number seven, watch a movie uh, about uh, refugees. So if you basically say, no, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to just only watch Netflix all the time and binge watch all the time. Okay, fine. But intentionally watch Netflix. Maybe watch a movie like God Grew Tired of Us or Salam Neighbor that talks about uh, the life of refugees. Number eight, read a book. So if you're, you know... uh, if you're a little more intellectual, but you're still unwilling to tangibly engage, um, you can read What is the What by Dave Edgers. That's about the life of Sudanese refugees in America or The Kite Runner by Khaled Husseini or the book that Matthew Sorens wrote, which is uh, Seeking Refuge. And then finally, number nine, this is what I would really encourage for, for some of you out there. Uh, live among refugee communities. Move into the apartments where they're being resettled, especially if you're one of those uh, single folks who has a little bit of flexibility. Move in there and become family uh, with folks from all over the world. You'll learn a ton. Uh, I've done this at various points in my life. The interns that I've had have done this at various points. And what we've found is that this is a profound way of of really building bonds of friendship and learning a ton and um, and really reflecting the incarnation of Jesus. That's great, Jim. I mean, that list there just provides, uh, I mean, there is some level of engagement for, you know, whatever your preference may be, whether, you know, you're reading a book and, you know, kind of becoming more informed like we talked about or, you know, you're going as far as living within, you know, a, a refugee community. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is something for all of us to do here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Jim, I just thank you, you know, for just kind of helping us to understand, you know, this issue and definitely getting to a lot of those questions that, you know, maybe we're still up in the air. And, um, you know, I think just a final thought, you know, I don't think sometimes uh, it's necessarily hatred or, uh, you know, hatred for refugees, but sometimes it's just apathy. Yeah. You know, it's just being misinformed. Yeah. Or misinformed. Yeah. Or just not not seeing you know refugees as image bearers yeah just like you know saying oh that's an issue that's out there yeah you know and um you know i've kind of i fell in that end of the spectrum you know prior to kind of getting involved in redemption and you know uh you know our previous first wednesday on this topic and just kind of you know even kind of getting to know refugees and you know Mm -hmm. speaking with them and and just realizing that you know like I said, like, this is an issue God cares about. Like, I need to care about this. You know, these are image bearers of God. These are, you know, they're, they're, they're not all terrorists. And, you know, you have all this hatred and, you know, vile things that are, that are said. It's just not true. Mm. You know, we're, and we just have to be so keen not to be, um, you know, uh, informed or live out of, out of our fears. Yeah. So, uh, you know, really important issue. And uh, I, I really look forward to, you know, everything Redemption is doing um, in regards to this issue. And I'm looking to get involved myself, man. Yep, yep. And uh, if, we, if we haven't hit enough weighty topics, next first Wednesday we're going to talk about violence. So be ready to dive in. Yep. So uh, something to look forward to next first Wednesday. We'll be, we'll be talking about violence. And uh, just thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time.